0: Hi, Point, I'm so glad you're joining us. I want to start by acknowledging that a lot of people have been doing some things behind the scenes this last week. Our weekend services are aimed towards uh, a live crowd. And after we did a virtual service last week and realized maybe this could go on for several weeks in a row, we, we realized our uh, quality of the video and the sound wasn't going to make it for that period of time. And so, uh, Luis and Mike and his teams have been working at doing some stuff. The band stayed late on Thursday, getting things done so that we could do things differently. Uh, The tech teams have been uh, putting in extra time as well, coming in at weird times. So just a big thank you to a lot of people who are going to allow this to to work. So uh, shout out to them. Now, in all fairness to us, the song that you just heard the band play was picked weeks ago. And so maybe it's not appropriate at this point to sing a song that says, come on over, right? So uh, maybe Stay Away would have been a better song, except I like the message of the song. I like the hope that's in the song. I like the idea of the togetherness, and it fits beautifully with what we're talking about. We're discussing unity, and we're discussing that what God intends to do is to bring a group of people together to accomplish something that we couldn't do apart. And when that happens, you heard it in the song, that when there's a sense of togetherness, things shine, and that's uh, our future. It might not be what we're currently experiencing right now. I think it's ironic that we're doing a series on unity while we can't be together, but for whatever reason, God sees the value in this, and it'll just be a season. We will be together again, and when that happens, we're going to shine, and it's only going to work if we get this idea of unity right. Uh, We started talking about this because, look, this is what Peter said about this. Finally, all of you be like minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. He calls us out to be like minded. Paul writes in Ephesians 4 3 Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Both of these guys are painting a picture of what it means to be united. One, come together. And we started down this trail because as Paul was writing this in Ephesians chapter 4, he he starts telling us how to work this out, what we have to do in order to be that kind of united body. And he gets into the middle of chapter five and he starts painting a picture. He paints a picture of what a healthy relationship will be like in marriage so that he can use that as an example for the church. And what we've been doing is we've been using crossover truths, truths that are the same in both. Now listen, this this is risky. When you use an analogy... If you go too far, the analogy breaks down. And we're not trying to. We're just simply picking one thing that they have in common. There's a similarity. Um, God said in Genesis chapter 2, I want to create one flesh with you. When I put you together as man and wife. And so there's a oneness that God's trying to accomplish there. It's the same thing that he's doing in the church. Trying to create united kind of sense that we have with each other. A like-minded sense with each other. And this is the thing that we're keying off of. And so we've looked at these and said, look, there's some things that are just true about this healthy picture of marriage that are true about a healthy picture of the church. And so uh, we started by saying, look, um, if you want to have a healthy marriage, you're going to have to accept that you will not agree about everything. You can agree on values. If you can find some values to agree on, that's true. And it's true in the church too. There's there's too much diversity here. There's too many different generations, too many different ideas for us to agree on everything. But if we could find certain values to agree on, we could still have unity. We said in marriage, it's going to require work. Same is true in the church. If we want to experience unity, we're going to have to actually work hard at it. And then we started getting specific. We said, look, if, if you want to have a healthy marriage respect is going to have to be part of it. It's going to have to show up in a big way. The same is true for how we treat each other in the church. If you are not respectful to people who look at things differently than you do, the chance of us being united, having us one-minded kind of thoughts, are going to go out the window. Um, Then last week, we talked about love. We said, listen, people uh, respond to and accept love differently. And if you don't understand that in marriage, you might be communicating something to that person that you think is love, but it's not. The same thing happens in the church. People respond and feel love differently. And so you've got to to find a way to figure out who they are and communicate love to them in a way that connects with them. And then the last thing we talked about was fondness for a marriage. um, Focused thinking about things that you're fond of that other person about are vital to that relationship. And it works the same with us. Sometimes we concentrate on the others, other things inside the church. And if you could have just given yourself to a positive thought about that other person, God could have led you along to a place of unity with them. And so uh, we're looking at all of these things together. And today we're going to add one more piece. Uh, Vital, in my opinion, for the health of a marriage. Vital for uh, the church. What's uh, ironic is I think this one is going to be a very difficult struggle for us to pull off. Not because it's not logical, it's going to make sense like love and respect do. The reason it's going to be difficult is because everything in our culture sets itself up against this. And so much of what we do in our culture has affected the way we look at things and respond to things and think about things. And it has become barriers us to do this effectively in our relationships with each other and effectively in the church. And so um, this is going to be a challenge, but it's going to be worthwhile. And so I want to start like we did in the last few weeks. We're going to start with marriage. We're going to talk about uh, the picture of what a healthy marriage could look like if this idea was operating there. And then we're going to roll it. We're going to cross it over into the church and see where it could benefit us there as well. So I want to start in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul is about to introduce this picture of marriage, and he's going to use a very small verse that's going to get stuff rolling. He says this, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a very short verse, um, but if you want to get stuff stirred up, start talking about submission in the church. Now, um, if you were to ask me, why is this such a big deal? Well, here's here's what I think. When I sit down and talk with a couple that's going through premarital counseling, I will tell them marriage is like a three-legged table. You can be really great. Can we put that table up there? You can be really great at two of these things, but if you fail at the third, the table falls over. And for most of us, it's pretty logical, it's pretty easy to understand why you would have love and respect as two of those legs. And people can excel at that. But if you're missing out on submission and serving each other, the thing falls apart. And so, uh, what's weird is I don't hear very many people in that kind of setting ever argue that love and respect aren't of value and should be pursued by a relationship. But I've had conversations with people who wonder about submission. They wonder if it's necessary, or maybe if the way we're talking about it should be changed. And the reason this comes up is because Paul doesn't stop at verse 21. He writes verse 22. And this, my friends, is where things really get riled up on this subject. Let me read it for you. Wives... Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, um, if you want to get a hot potato started, bring up this verse amongst people. And uh, in our culture, there is a real kind of gut reaction to this that they're like, I don't get it. And you'll hear church people argue about what this means with each other. And I think sometimes what's frustrating to me is I hear them arguing about things that I think are apples and oranges. Can I, can I help you understand what Paul was writing to? See, in the culture that Paul's writing to, almost all the marriages, I don't know of an example, but I'm going to leave this, the, it open because I'm not sure of all the ancient cultures, but almost all of them had arranged marriages. Which meant that many times, the first time you really met that person, and any had any chance to get to know them was at the wedding ceremony. All the arrangements would be made. You would be you would show up and it would go from zero to intimate fast. You want to know how fast? You would go through the wedding ceremony and then the wedding party would stop. They would wait for the couple to consummate the marriage and they would have to prove it before the party would begin again. That's called awkward, right? But this is the first time you have actually get to know this person. You don't even know if you like them yet. But it's, it's gone to that level of intimacy. And then you move back home with them without knowing if you like their family, without knowing if you like their character, without knowing if their personality is going to blend with None of that information is available for this person. They're in a very difficult spot. So it's interesting, isn't it? that Paul would write to a person like that and say, listen, one of the things that I need you to do is to submit to this other person. Now, I want to point out that when he does this, he does it right alongside two other ideas, love and respect. He's not saying, listen, this relationship is going to survive if you just have submission, Love and respect are going to have to be there. It would be silly of him to say, listen, you can do this as long as you have submission. But the other two don't matter. But it would be just as silly for him to have said, listen, as long as you have love and respect, you're going to be okay. Because the truth is, relationships work when they have all three of these things. And so Paul was sharing something to this group of people that would help them figure out, I have got to do, I've got to make some choices in my life that help lead to a healthy relationship. And one of them is going to have to be submission. Truthfully, in our culture, we have major advantages. Most of you, uh, the vast majority of you, and I'm sure there's a sliver that I don't know about, maybe this isn't true for you, but most of you got to choose who you would marry. You got to figure out beforehand if they were somebody that, you liked. You got to figure out what their character was beforehand. And so this idea of submitting should actually be a little bit easier. It should be a little bit easier because you know them. You have developed a level of trust with them that wasn't there for this other person. And yet, I've discovered that when I talk to people in our culture, they have a real problem with this idea of submitting because almost always, They associate it with force. If I have to submit, you're causing me to bow my knee to another person. And I don't want to do that. And I don't think it's healthy to do that. I don't think it's right to do that. Why should anybody be submitting, being forced to do this? But I want you to be careful here. Because if you looked at the scriptures that um, Paul was referencing, I want to go back and just show you what they say one more time. He said, um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You're doing this out of choice. The second verse, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. The choice that you, you submit to the Lord is not because he's demanded. It's because you've made a choice that you're going to follow him, that you'll yield to him, that you're going to do that. This all changes when you start to understand that it's choice. That it's about me coming to um, a marriage and saying, part of what I can give is I can give submission. Part of what I can give is love. Part of what I can give is respect. And when you give that package of gifts to another person, it creates a bond between you that develops unity like you would never have believed. So it's this incredible thing that happens when you make the choice. The problem is, a lot of people don't look at it that way. And the question is, how did it get off track? How can it be this really powerful, incredible thing that God has given couples to have that develops their relationship in ways that like, allow them to accomplish great things together And yet, couples think it's a bad idea. How did it get there? Well, I think part of the problem is the church has not done a very good job as we've talked about this section of Scripture. Um, When I was growing up, I heard it said like this. This is a command that the woman has been given. And so, since it's a command to her, it's okay for you to demand that she does this. And in fact, the way it was sometimes... Um, operated when I watched it, is you were allowed to extract that out of your spouse. You could squeeze their submission out of them because they were required by God to do so. So it was okay for you to take and squeeze it out of them as much as you could because it was what they were supposed to do in the first place. But did you see what the scripture said? I want to remind you, I want to go back to that. It said... That we would do this out of reverence for Christ, that we would do this as we do to the Lord. Now, let me just let you think about this for just a minute. If there was anybody that you know who deserves respect, who deserves love, who has earned our submission, it's Jesus. He goes to a cross, pays a price that he didn't have to pay for you and I. And what is his choice? Because he would be right. If he came to you after all of that and said, Look at what I did. I've earned your submission. And if you will not submit, I will force you to do so. And if he forced us to do so, it would be right. It would be be the right thing because he would have been worthy of that submission. And yet, what does he do? He offers a gift. Says, I'm going to give you a chance to accept this or reject this. It's your choice. You can choose to do this. And the same choice is there. I want you to submit like you've done to the Lord. I want you to make a choice to give yourself away instead of seeing it as an extraction. This is not something that's withdrawn from you, this is something that you give. And you give it out of reverence for me because look at what I could have done and look at what I did instead. Now don't miss this. That opening verse 21 was to both couples. I think he says this directly to wives in, chapter, or in verse 22 because of the difficult circumstances they were facing. But it doesn't mean that we are not submitting one to another which is exactly what the scriptures call for here. What does this look like? Well, if you're not extracting from each other. It means that sometimes you're yielding to each other. I want my way, but I don't get it. Because I'm with this other person who wants a different way. And so I yield and I let her have her way. Sometimes it's about preferences. I would prefer to go and ex- have this experience and they would prefer to go to do a different experience. And these, those are just simple, easy things. Do you want to know where it really hits the road? Submission is you putting that other person ahead of you on a regular basis. It's a choice that says, I'm going to see this person as being more valuable than I am. Um, I wish I could tell you uh, from experience that this went really well for us when we first got married. I, uh, Tracy and I both grew up under systems where they talked about submission more as a model of extraction than anything else. And so when we got married, I went about extracting submission from her and she was tried to satisfy that, but struggled with it. And so she was trying to extract other needs that she had for me. And it was a mess. And uh, And we've said this, uh, which is kind of funny. We can't even agree on this. I've said, our first five years of marriage were awful. And she's, and she's like, oh honey, our first 10 years of marriage were awful, right? So, uh, and because she was the one being extracted out of, like things went worse for her. And so we, we understood that something wasn't right. Like this wasn't going well because submission wasn't in our relationship. What was odd is the other two legs that we thought we would work on that could hold us up of love and respect, they were getting damaged too. The whole thing was turning into a mess. And it was only when we started to realize that Christ approached us in a certain way that caused us to rethink some things. I want you to see what motivated him coming, choosing to be on earth. This is found in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says this, He's talking about himself. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His choice was to become a servant. He became a model for us. And it was only when I understood that serving was central to his life that I started reevaluating what I was doing with my own wife. And I realized something. Serving was not a central part of our relationship. And when I started to exploring that, here's what I, here's the discovery I came to. I realized that I had been given a privilege, a privileged position in Tracy's life. Because I started to know more about her than anybody else knew. I knew her insecurities. I knew where she struggled. I knew her strengths that other people didn't quite see. I knew what she was going to be great at. And God revealed that I was in a unique position to help her become who she was created to be. That if I would serve her, that I could partner with God in an effort to see her become who God had made her to be. This was, this was eye-opening thing. And if you would go and ask Tracy, how's he doing with this? She would say on a day-to-day basis, it's iffy, right? But on big things, he gets it right often. Why? Because I've realized that part of my role is to find a way to put her above me, to help her accomplish what God's put her on the earth to do. And this, this marriage allows this to happen in a unique way. The risk of it is if you elevate somebody above yourself, maybe you'll get taken advantage of. Is that a concern that you might have? And I, I understand that. My experience has been the opposite. Because I've, I've been... Um, with somebody who also puts me above herself and on a regular basis, sacrifices so that I can do the role I have here um, and be the kind of person that God made me to be. Sacrifices her time and schedule to do that sort of thing on a regular basis and doesn't complain about it. It has the ability to create a sense of unity that's deep within each other if you choose all three. If you choose to love, if you choose to respect, but if you choose to elevate that other person above you the way God did, based on a choice that you made, great things can happen. Unity blossoms in that place. They can accomplish things that they could not have accomplished without your presence. And that's the work of God in their lives through you. See, this is where it's really easy to say this idea crosses over to the church incredibly well. Because what God wants to do in the church is to take a group of people and to have us accomplish something together that we couldn't do apart. And the only way to pull this off is for unity to exist, which means we're going to have to elevate others ahead of ourselves. And just in case you're wondering if Jesus ever says that kind of thing directly, the verses that come right before what he says about his own motive for coming to earth to be a servant to people, he addresses us. I want you to see this. This is in verse 42 of Mark 10. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. What I find interesting about this section of Scripture is that he's talking to the people who are about to lead the church when he's gone. And he's saying, listen, you guys at the top, if you're, not lead, if you're not servants first, this isn't going to work. My kingdom is going to break down. What's kind of funny to me, I think this is, um, I don't know, maybe disturbing at some level. Sometimes what I watch is that people who get in church leadership feel like they are the rulers and not the servants, not primarily the servants. But I think this was aimed at the leaders. And if it's good enough for the leaders, it's good enough for the rest of us. Our approach to each other is to be servants is to decide that I'm going to put you ahead of me. I'm going to make choices that elevate your preferences, your needs, your desires, ahead of what I want sometimes. Now, uh, it's a beautiful picture. The question is, why doesn't it happen? Well, why it doesn't happen in marriage is because there's some cultural barriers about what submission means. We think it means, I'm forced but I think there's some cultural barriers that happen in the church that prevent it from happening. I've written down four. Four things that I see happening that I think the culture has uh, colored our view of the church and changed things for us. And it's made it difficult for us to approach each other with acts of service where we submit to one another and elevate each other above ourselves. I think one of these has happened because um, for a long time, the church was seen as a place that served the community. And over time, it kind of changed, and it became the church is a place where I get services for the community. And so um, people evaluate a church based on its offerings. What do you offer me? And we know this, and so we try to offer things that will engage people. But in the process of doing that, what happens is you kind of get treated like a spiritual mall. I go shopping for the stuff that I need, but I don't stay long enough to actually invest my life in it. In fact, if the offerings stop being satisfying to me, I move to a different place. And a cycle crea- is created where I go from one place to one place to one place where you never stay long enough to be known and be known, where you never stay long enough for you to use your gifts in a way that empower God's kingdom. It becomes a service that you use, not a place where you go to serve. This is hard because this has just kind of become part of the culture, but it's a loss in my opinion. Uh, There have been a few people that I've talked to who've come to Waypoint who've almost immediately wondered, what can I do to use my gifts and my skills here to engage? I want to engage in some way. And I think this is the picture that God's looking for. Sometimes the only way you're going to get to know people is for you to engage. In fact, people don't stay long enough and then they get, they get kind of wrung out, having lost out on the opportunity to be who they were meant to be in that community. It's frustrating. Uh, another thing, another barrier that gets in the way, it's not just how the church is viewed, but I think sometimes the church has done this uh, to people in the church as well, is that some, sometimes the barrier is that you feel like you have to serve. Like there's a sense of obligation that comes with the serving that kind of gets brought to your attention. I don't know if you guys caught this last week, but there was a guy in Tennessee, he, uh, he predicted that things were going to get bad, and he predicted it right. He knew there was going to be a run on all kinds of hand sanitizers and so um, a weeks before everybody else figured this out, he went to every local store in his area and he bought up every bottle of hand sanitizers. He wound up with 17,000 bottles in his garage, which he started listing on Amazon and eBay at exorbitant prices. After he had sold a little over 400 units, Amazon shut him down, eBay shut him down, and his community found out what he was doing and they were upset at him. So what did he do? He gave it all away. Too late. It was too late. He gave it away because he was caught. He gave it away because he felt obligated. He didn't know what else to do. He was trying to dig himself out of a hole. His neighbors don't like him right now. His community doesn't respect him right now. Why? Because he was doing it out of obligation. Obligation doesn't work. And it's, it's why it's tough. Because I could, I could list a whole bunch of things at Waypoint that you could do to elevate others ahead of yourself. And at the same time, I have to risk, while I'm telling you all of this, that some people will do this out of guilt or out of a sense of, I have to do this because the pastor said it. Don't! Don't do that. Do this because this is how we respond when we follow Jesus. We elevate other people around us ahead of ourselves. If you were looking for a place to do that right now, our youth and children's ministries have momentum. They have a a lot of people who are coming. And if you look at the stats, if you look at all the surveys that have been done over time, one of the best places to spend your energy with young people has long lifetime lasting effect on them. If you can engage them early in life with meaningful stuff. And right now our teams are doing that. And if you were looking for a place to do something, you could do that. But we risk, when we say that, having somebody go, I'll just do it out of obligation. Two people could be doing the exact same thing. One could be making a difference in the world, and the other one could be as meaningless as the guy giving away that hand sanitizer. Because it has to do with your heart. 20%. 20% of the people in a church do 80% of the serving. You know what would happen if 50% had a heart to serve? We wouldn't be able to contain it in the church. We would be out in our community all over the place. We're doing that now, but there would be so much, so much capacity for us to serve that we would run away with things. We, uh, we would take our community by storm, but it has to come from a heart that desires to honor God, that chooses that, not out of obligation. And when it's out of obligation, it's just a miss. And unfortunately, sadly, sometimes the church has just been okay with obligatory service. As long as the job is getting done, it's okay. I I hope we can strive for better, for more. Another barrier that I've watched is some people look around and they look at certain skills that are easily seen and they go, well, I can't play an instrument. I can't sing. I can't run sound. I can't teach kids. I can't do these big things. I guess there's nothing here for me to do. And if you would have just stopped and and found somebody and said, here's what I can do. Here's what I'm really good at. If we can't find a place for you to serve here, if we can't find a way for you to elevate others here, there's places in the community that we can help you engage your skills, your gifts, your gifts they should be used for the sake of God's kingdom. So just because you don't see your particular gift being touted or shown or seen somewhere doesn't mean it's not of value. I I hope you would have the courage to bring it forward and say, hey, this is something I could do. But if I were to list the number one reason why it's so difficult for us to serve each other, For us to elevate somebody else above ourselves is because this is not how our culture does things. And we have been impacted by our culture a great deal. We look out for number one. I have been in the stores the last two weeks shopping to empty shelves as people have grabbed as much as they could get to take it home so they could take care of themselves. This is It's kind of become the way that we live our lives. And if we were to try to change that, what would it look like? How would we, how could we start? Because we're not together, right? There's no way for us to be together and serve each other. There's no way for us to do that. But it, it can happen because it starts here. It starts in our heart. I think one of the things that you could do is start genuinely praying for somebody. Think about somebody in our congregation who needs to um, have their need taken before God. And here's a wild idea. Spend more time talking to God about that need than the stuff that you're concerned about in your own life. Elevate that person ahead of yourself by putting their needs in front of God more than you put your needs in front of God. In this time where we're again separated and divided, why don't you you try something on Tuesday? Do 10 people Tuesday where you decide that you're gonna contact 10 people by phone and just catch up with them. How are you doing? What's going on? there's going to be a sense of isolation that sets in with this continued restrictions on movement that people are going to face. And we can find a way to elevate people if we would just reach out to them. And so there's a lot of different ways to do that. There are other ways that we can serve each other. I told you we were out shopping in empty stores. Um, Miracle of Miracles, we came across a lone set of toilet paper at a store last night. It was shocking. We felt like we'd hit the lotto, right? And there was only one in the store. We bought it. And, and we didn't need a 48-pack, but that's what we ended up with. Hey, I have an idea. If you need toilet paper, let me know. I've got some. Like, if, if we could start doing this kind of thing where, look, there's going to be people in need. You may have to risk going and shopping for somebody. You may have to do that sort of thing. And we do this because God did this sort of thing for us. He set the standard. And so for us, it starts with a heart attitude. And although we're apart, it starts with how we think about each other, the choices that we're gonna make when we're together, where I'm going to find a way to make sure that I respond to you the way Christ responded to me. I'm gonna elevate you. I'm I'm gonna lower myself. And make you important. And I'm going to find ways for you to see that. And in the meantime, I can find small ways to do that. I can find small ways to serve each other, to care for each other. And if we did this, here's what I'm convinced could happen. I'm convinced the church would be a glowing example of what it means to be a unified body. We're needing that in our world right now more than ever before. A group of people who love each other who respect each other, who have decided to elevate each other for the purpose of partnering with God to accomplish something great in this world. This is our choice and it will come to that. Will you choose to do this or not? Because God will not force it out of your hand. He will let you give it as an offering, as a gift. Will you? Can we pray? God, I'm so grateful for the picture I see in the scriptures of a leader who made a choice to sacrifice. A leader who says, my choice is to come to serve, not to be served. God, I find that hard to emulate. I find that hard to emulate um, with my spouse. I find it hard to emulate in the church sometimes. It's easier to want what I want And to seek that. And yet, um, you have a higher calling. You have a purpose for us that's bigger than any of us. And so I just ask that you would grow our hearts. Grow our hearts to consider that as a group, if we would come together and we would submit to each other out of reverence for you, that we could create something dynamic here that could change the world. I ask that you would help us to figure out our part, whether it's a small thing that we do, whether it's prayer, whether it's phone calls, whether it's acts of service, or whether it's getting involved in a ministry as things get kicked back up here at Waypoint, I ask that you would open people's hearts to what it looks like to follow you with acts of service. I ask that you would help us to be that shining example that you could show to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.